The scripture text this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Listen now for God's word to us today. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to Jesus and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken from her. This is the word of the Lord and all God's people said together, thanks be to God. Well, as some of you know, I recently returned from uh, more than a week in Colorado. I got to visit my extended family, spend some time with my sister and brother-in-law and their family in Boulder, and then head to the Colorado Rockies to spend some time with Jill's side of the extended family, and it was wonderful. I actually got to attend my niece Olivia's high school graduation. What a privilege to be able to attend things like graduations now in person. And I got to hear a great graduation speech there. I love me a good graduation speech. One of my favorite graduation speeches dates back to 2008. This was a speech given by J.K. Rowling, the author of the Harry Potter books, who sold now several hundred million of those books. She gave this graduation speech to the graduating class at Harvard University back in 2008, and she entitled the speech, The Fringe Benefits of Failure, and the power of imagination, the fringe benefits of failure, and the power of imagination. She shared with these Harvard graduates about her own experience with failure and how it shaped her, how it helped her to find what was essential. She told these graduates, I think it's fair to say that by any conventional measure, a mere seven years after my graduation day, I had failed on an epic scale. An exceptionally short-lived marriage had imploded, I was jobless, a lone parent, and as poor as it is possible to be in Britain and not be homeless. The fears that my parents had for me, that my overactive imagination would lead to my impoverishment, and the fears that I had for myself had both come to pass, and by every usual standard, I was the biggest failure I knew. Now, she said, I'm not going to tell you that failure is fun. That period of my life was a dark one, and I had no idea that there was going to be what the press has since represented as a kind of fairy tale resolution. I had no idea then how long the tunnel extended. I had hope, but not yet the reality of being a published author. And yet, I want to talk with you about the benefits of failure. Why? She says, because failure meant a stripping away of the inessential. Failure meant a stripping away of the inessential. I stopped pretending to myself that I was anything other than what I was and began to direct all my energy into finishing the only work that mattered to me, the fantasy novel I was writing. Had I really succeeded at anything else, I might never have found the determination to succeed in the one arena I believed I truly belonged. And so rock bottom became the solid foundation 
on which I rebuilt my life. Failure, she told them, meant a stripping away of the inessential, and that helped her to find what was crucial, what was foundational, what was there at rock bottom for her. And once she found what that was, she could then build her identity, her life, her direction based on that foundation. Well, failure can do that to you. It can force you to examine what is essential, but something else can do that. A pandemic. A pandemic can strip away the inessential and push you to ask at your core, who are you? What is your life about? What is essential, foundational, when everything else is stripped away? And I hope we don't miss the opportunity, still wearing masks, still in the throes of this pandemic, to take that invitation and look at what is essential. In Scripture, the environment that's so often portrayed in that way as a space of stripping away the inessential of deprivation so that you can hone in on who you are and what is most important is, of course, the wilderness. We read in Scripture of how God led the people of God into wilderness after God had liberated the people from slavery in Egypt. And there in the wilderness, they were given lessons as to who they were and what mattered most, what was essential. We read in Deuteronomy that there in the Sinai wilderness, God, quote, humbled you by letting you hunger, then by feeding you with manna in order to make you understand that one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. In the wilderness, God's people learned what was essential, reliance on God, sharing of resources with those who had need. That was a crucial lesson of the wilderness. And they also learned how God's word was like bread. God was as essential for them as bread was to the body. Well, we read in Luke's gospel that as Jesus is preparing to begin his public ministry, he is sent out by the Spirit into the wilderness, and he there goes through that classic journey that God's people did in the Sinai wilderness. And there the devil comes to him when he is famished and says, Jesus, take the, your environment, take the things around you and convert it into something for your consumption. And Jesus replies, of course, pointing back to Deuteronomy. It Reads in Scripture, he says, one does not live by bread alone. One does not live by bread alone. Jesus is reiterating that classic word from the wilderness, that time of deprivation, that essential, essential at the heart of things. Foundational is God's word. It is like air, like bread. Well, somehow, the Mary that we see in today's passage had learned that lesson of the wilderness. She learned what was essential. Maybe Mary had known a time of deep personal failure like J.K. Rowling and that helped her identify what would be foundational for her life. Maybe Mary had suffered a deep personal loss. Maybe she had a crisis of identity. Maybe she'd faced a confrontation with the devil himself. We're not told, but somehow Mary recognized that essential for her life was not simply bread, but every word that came from the mouth of the Lord. And so when Jesus came to her home that day, she dropped everything, 
to hone in on what was essential. She took the opportunity that occasion afforded and sat at Jesus' feet so that she could hang on every word that came from the mouth of the Lord. For in Jesus Christ, she somehow recognized God had come near, God's work freeing the, the captive and giving sight to the blind had come near, and in Him was the word that can give her life meaning and direction. Now, that was a bold move for a woman to take. We have rabbinic writings of that time where the rabbis talk of the value of sitting at the feet of sages and soaking up their words, but it is always presented in the writings we have or often made explicit. This is for men. We even have some of the rabbis say, don't associate too much with womankind in this kind of activity. But here we see Mary taking that role, bucking social convention and sitting at the feet of Jesus. And sometimes when you grasp the essential boundaries that seem to matter before suddenly don't seem like your primary guide, sometimes when you've borne down on the essential, you say, this is who I am. This is who I am. This is my call. And if this defies social conventions, so be it. If, the, if this defies my family's expectations, my sister's expectations, my parents' expectations, so be it. This is who I am. This is my call. I'll write fantasy novels. Even if I have no assurance it will ever earn me a living, and even if my parents are terrified, this will lead me into poverty. I'll be a disciple of Jesus Christ and not let society's view on gender hold me back. I'll be a leader in the church if that's what Christ calls me to do and be for his call, his word. It is like bread. It is foundational. Mary saw that. But Martha, as she saw it, this Mary was simply shirking her chores, leaving Martha to bear the sole burden of the manifold jobs the women of the family were expected to undertake when you had a guest. Martha saw only those societal expectations, and she saw her sister shirking those responsibilities, just chilling out at Jesus' feet. So rather than listening to Jesus herself, you notice Martha goes and tells Jesus what he should do. She doesn't listen for what Jesus might tell her to do. Martha tells Jesus what he should do. She says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me, Jesus. Tell her to help me. Now, you can admit it. Sometimes in your prayers during the pandemic, haven't you tried to tell Jesus what to do? Tell Jesus to send people to help you with your manifold tasks. Haven't you found yourself falling into Martha's pattern here? Oh, Jesus, tell other people to help me. Tell other people to be concerned about what I'm concerned about. Tell my sister, my brother, my colleagues, my neighbors, my friends, my church members to help with the tasks I see that need to be done. Would you please get them on my page, Jesus? Would you please act according to my agenda, Jesus, and do it now? And we're slow to listen for what Christ's call might actually be for that sister or brother, how they might understand Christ's call on their life in this moment. Now, to be clear, Martha's work 
in this passage is not presented as something evil or bad. It's actually presented with the Greek word diakonian. That's the word from which we get our word deacon, those leaders in our church in compassion and care and service. Diakonian means service, and it's, it's a good word. Caring for congregation members, reaching out, what Martha is doing, preparing for a guest so that they can have a great meal and that there can be this welcome and hospitality extended. That is good work. Just before the story of Mary and Martha, Jesus had told the story of the Good Samaritan. And in that story, he had lifted up the notion of not simply listening to God's word, but doing it, acting in compassion, especially towards that person lying by the side of the road, hurting. And he ended the telling of that story by telling a lawyer, go and do likewise. But in our service, in our doing, in our diakonion, we can sometimes lose track of the call. We can lose track of the purpose behind it. We can lose track of that essential, which is God's love poured out for us in Christ, His Word that tells us who we are and gives our very task direction and meaning and can help us figure out what to prioritize and what not to. Martha's work is not presented as bad, except that it's not grounded in that Word provided right then and there through Jesus Christ himself. Mary realized that and sat at Jesus' feet. Martha, in her task, was distracted, and so Jesus says this, Martha, Martha, you are distracted or pulled away by many things, but only one thing is important. Mary has chosen the better portion, and it will not be taken away from her. In so many ways, those are words of grace to Martha. Take a break from your work. Rest. Soak up the goodness of God's Word. Hear God's love for you. Find your identity, your meaning, and purpose. Know you've been welcomed into the embrace of God. Know that God's kingdom has drawn near to you. God's Word will then help you prioritize your tasks. It will give your service, your diakonion, direction and meaning. Let go for a time of what society expects of you, Martha, and bore down to the essential, the foundational, to God's Word spoken through God's own Son, Jesus Christ. Come and sit with your sister. Well, it's no accident that we're looking at this particular passage in the midst of a sermon series on faith and technology. Because I believe the explosion of technological tools in recent years has meant the temptation to distraction has exploded as well. Now, don't get me wrong. The technological tools we now have at our fingertips have opened up wonderful new vistas. They've allowed for communication, and many a day during this pandemic, I've said thanks be to God for the opportunities to communicate with other people that the technological tools we now have opens up for us. But technology has also presented new and powerful tools for what happens to Martha in this passage, and that is to get distracted from what is essential. 
We now have not only the tasks that are always running through our minds, but we also have tasks on our phones and computers, and we can have new tasks hitting us at all hours of the day with the bleeps, buzzes, and vibrations of our digital devices. Those can direct us to exactly what we want to do if they're used for that purpose, but we all know they can also distract us, pull us off course from what is essential. Well, back in 2013, Nir Eyal wrote a book about how companies can market tools and products and especially software and apps so that they can pull people into their orbit. The book was called Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products. More recently, he wrote a book not for companies this time who were seeking to market products or digital tools and have them distract people so that they could be pulled into the orbit of these products, but instead he wrote a book for people who want to resist that pull. The newer book is entitled Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. Now, on one hand, you can call that move ethically suspect. On one hand, he's selling one book to companies who are trying to lure people or pull them in with their products. On another hand, to consumers to resist those pulls. You might say he's selling ammunition to both sides of a particular battle or war and profiting in the mix. But on the other hand, you could look at Nir Eyal's writing, whether for companies or potential consumers, as an exploration into the modern power of distraction in this digital age and how we might hone in on the essential. And it's good to understand how powerful distraction can be if we want to follow Mary's example and locate and focus on that which is essential. Nir Eyal argues for identifying what's essential in advance and then setting time in your calendar, blocking out how you will spend time on that essential. If family you believe is an essential, block time to spend with family. Make that the, the priority you want it to be. If time with God, time reading scripture, time of prayer is important, block that out. If time writing, if you're a writer and really want to make writing a part of your schedule, block that out. And then, he writes, you set up a system to ensure that distractions don't pull you from those things that are essential, but it starts with what is essential and then figuring out what are those things that could distract you from that. He also notes that one of the biggest causes of distraction is not the external, it's the internal. It's that whenever we really are called to something that's essential, say a new job or something we really want to make happen with our family or a project that really matters to us, say a commentary on Matthew's Gospel, just for example, that when we sit down to start working on that particular project or dedicate energy to it, like J.K. Rowling working on her fantasy novel, immediately inside there will be all these pulls to do something else. Because it's hard. Following your call, following what is essential is hard. And it can take risk and demand. And so there's these internal pulls. And so Nirayal encourages us to recognize that process and prepare for it, that we might in turn hone in on what is essential. I felt that myself when I sit down to pray, 
to work on a sermon, to work on a job description, to prepare for a session agenda. Suddenly I'll think of all these things I should be doing right then. Suddenly my phone or my iPad will look really attractive right about then. So what Eyal recommends, hone in on the essential. Remember your call for me to say, wait, this is a precious time I have blocked out for prayer or for sermon preparation or for writing or for caring and being with a particular congregation member. And so dive in to that which is essential. For Mary, to sit at Jesus' feet was a bold move, and it surely entailed risk setting other things aside that certainly did have a pull and saying, no, for this moment, I am going to hone in on what is essential and not be distracted from it. It was like J.K. Rowling leaving behind her family's hopes that she would dive into a well-paying job and pursue novel writing instead. So much threatened to pull her from that course but Mary dared make a commitment to the essential and was not distracted from it. And so rather than tell G- telling Jesus what to do as Martha did, Mary listens, tries to center herself on God's words spoken through Jesus, and then go and act accordingly. And so, friends, whether you're joining us remotely and thrilled to have a host of you joining us through the digital medium or you are here in person, I hope these times each Sunday morning and the times you set aside for prayer can be that where you are freed from distraction and able to hone in on just sitting at the feet of Jesus. If you're joining us remotely, I know many of you have already set up systems to try to limit distractions so that for at least that period of time that you've set up your TV or computer to watch the service, you aren't distracted and can hone in and be nourished by God's Word. For those of you who are joining us in person, I hope this space, that everything surrounding you, being with others who are doing the same thing at the same time, can also help you for a time. Free yourself from distraction and just sit at Jesus' feast to soak up your identity and meaning as a child of God as one called and claimed as God's very own in Christ and not let anything pull you from that essential. So then you can go out from that place of grounding and rootedness. Well, my beloved colleagues, Ali and Annalise, have spent years now sitting at the feet of Jesus and trying to respond faithfully to what he says Both of them bravely have chosen over the years not to listen to those voices that said only men can be in pastoral ministry, and they've honed in on the liberating words of Jesus Christ and His call in their lives that led them both to seminary, and it led them here to Knox to serve on staff, Allie for 11 years now, Annalise for five And amidst the barrage of tasks there have been this last year, and Lord have mercy, have there been a host of tasks in being church, just as I know for all of you, there have been a host of tasks in your work, in your home. It has felt overwhelming. And yet in the midst of that, both of these two have taken the time to listen to Christ's call on their life. 
and they found that leading them recently into new directions. They sensed the call of Christ in a new way. Knox has long been a launching pad of Christian leaders into new ministries in part because of our proximity to and our great relationship with Fuller Theological Seminary. And I believe that's a great strength of our church. And so now two Fuller graduates who came on staff during or at the end of their seminary days, two women who, like Mary, courageously listened to Christ's call and followed that call to ministry here to serve on staff, thanks be to God, now sense a call leading them to new roles and responsibilities. And while I am sad to lose both of them as deeply beloved colleagues, I applaud them for sitting at Christ's feet and continuing to follow where they sense Him leading. And I feel confident God will do what God has done for 125 years now in this congregation. I feel confident God will call and lead new and wonderful staff to this congregation. Thanks be to God. Well, friends, don't miss the invitation and opportunity of this pandemic to bore down on the essential. And as Christians, what we lift up as a pillar of our identity in life is that call and claim of Christ. That is core. In His Word, we find who we are. In Him, we realize we are beloved by God, accepted with open arms into God's embrace. In Him, we find meaning and purpose and direction. We find our service, not the kind society gives us or society tells us must be our service, but our service at the core of our call and identity is Christ's own, the true diakonion of each one of us. Keep listening for that voice of God, friends, for it is life. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, amen.